This show is being brought to you in part by Magic Financing, featuring Mago the Magician. They can help you get auto financing for anything in business for over 32 years. Magic Financing is dedicated to customer satisfaction. If you've got credit issues, they have the answer. No matter what your profile is, they can help. They work with people who have fair, bad, or just terrible credit, repayment history, as well as people who have no money down. That's right, no money down. They're located at 6385 North Federal Boulevard with a great auto inventory. Give them a call at 303-298-1155. That's Magic Financing. Features Mago the Magician. They're open Monday through Friday until 8 and Saturdays till 7. Check them out. That's Magic Financing. Call them today at 303-298-1155. Tell them you heard about it here at KUHSDenver.com. Also visit us at www.magicfinancing.com. Okay, we're live. Good afternoon. Uh, Welcome to the council, everybody. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been together. I'm uh, your host, Charlie Pacello, and we got a great show for you today. We are going to be talking about the quantum field and the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza. Uh, but first, I want to thank KUHS for uh, hosting the council. Uh, without KUHS, Denver here, Henry and everybody, uh, we wouldn't be possi- it wouldn't be possible for us to have this show, so I just want to thank them. Uh, We're broadcasting live here out of Denver, Colorado, all across the nation and all across the world. Uh, The numbers for the show continue to rise. I just want to thank each and every one of you that's tuning in today. Uh, This show is for you, and I really appreciate you tuning in. also want to let you all know, uh, you know, I have a book out. It's called Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. And it's a book that's uh, really a self-help book for the soul. And it's to, to kind of get you in touch with some people who were born a long time ago uh, in this period called the Axial Age. And it's uh, about tapping into this wisdom that was collected by these individuals in order to help them to understand themselves on a deeper level, to tap into that soul. Uh, this period between 900 B.C. and 200 uh, B.C., was a remarkable time and it was these groups all were coming to the virtually the same conclusions about how to treat each other with respect and how to treat others the way you want to be treated and to surrender to uh, you know your suffering and being able to move through suffering into uh, a, a higher state an enlightened state and so you'll get to meet people like Socrates and Lao Tzu and the Buddha and others in this book where you'll be able to understand their teachings in a very simple way, distilling the essence of the teachings and then beginning to ask questions for yourselves about why you want to cultivate the soul, why is it important to to have courage and and, uh, temerity and and virtues and the things that make our soul strong. And And it gives a meditation to go with it, thoughts that you can use to improve your life. I consider it a self-help book for the soul. You have Christmas coming up, the holidays coming up. It will be an outstanding gift for somebody who's looking to have a deeper connection to themselves. Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. You can find it on storebookbaby.com. That's store.bookbaby.com. And also you can purchase it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and so many other places. You can get it in an e-book format. 
uh, as well as print. So check it out, Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. Um, today we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> I just love the quantum field, and I've, I've been interested in it for years. And no one knows the quantum field better uh, than Dr. Joe Dispenza. And I had an opportunity to participate in one of his online workshops that uh, the Gaia Sphere Live Access Series was putting on. And it was so good that I wanted to take some of the insights that I gained from the show and share it with you. Some of the understanding, some of the wisdoms that I gained from the program. And interestingly, one of the prerequisites in the workshop for the attendees was to repeat back to someone else uh, what they had learned in the lecture from uh, Dr. Dispenza. And since I didn't have anyone to, uh, to talk to, <laughs> to report back this information, or to teach it back to, I thought I would share it with you and begin to you teach what I learned to the council listeners so that you might be able to utilize uh, this powerful technology in your lives. This is something I've never really taught before, and so in an effort to maintain the integrity of the lessons and understanding I learned, I will be using a lot of the language that Dr. Joe Dispenza used because he is the authority and I'm the messenger here, and he's been doing this for many, many years. However, it's only when we're able to teach this using our own words or the words of our teachers until they become our own does the, the brain actually begin to establish these neurological connections to bring these teachings down and to make them our own. And this stuff is going to blow your mind. And I can't wait for all of you to get this information. Uh, it has the power to dramatically change and alter the experience of your life for the better, your relationships, your health, and your overall well-being, which can be the difference in, you know, in your world and making better choices and you know being bringing a better future uh, that you would like to have and, and for all of your relatives and all of your, your friends to experience now this quantum field is available to everyone it's it's around us all over the place and no one is exempt no one and it's been measured and tested and verified of its existence our science has proven this so now that we know it's there, it's about shifting our thinking on how do we actually connect to this field in a way that gives us a sense we are actually co-creating our reality through the clarity of our intentions, our thoughts, and our feelings, emotions. So what are we going to start out with? We have to start out with this understanding that energy creates matter. And this is an extraordinary shift in our understanding and how the universe works. And it was inaugurated when we, when we entered the nuclear age. When we detonated those bombs and cracked open the world of energy, we opened up a consciousness about the way the world works that has not been known for at least 2,000 years. Now, there is some evidence that the ancient Greeks had knowledge of this and the ancient Indians from India. However, as far as we know, they could not verify these truths scientifically. But that's another topic for another day. So everything around us is energy. Energy changes the field and the field that we're all connected to. And our technology is actually confirming this, uh, of this unified field. We've got radio frequencies, we've got television frequencies, Wi-Fi frequencies that are all around us that we can tap into with our phones. 
Uh, we got frequencies that are emanating from our phones, our smartphones, our computers, our automobiles. All around us are various frequencies that are now being used, being harnessed in our technology to bring us some of the many modern conveniences we have in our hands today. All of the many different things you're able to do on your smartphones today would have been unthinkable 20 years ago. And so our understanding of the quantum world has been one of the leading drivers of this evolutionary leap in our technology. Now, if energy comes before matter, and we are energy, okay, we have in our bodies an electrical field, we have a magnetic field, and we can measure these fields emanating from us, then like an antenna, we've got to learn how to begin to start connecting to this field that is all around us and make these subtle, impactful changes in our lives. Energy changes the field. You change the field, you change the matter. Thus, when we're thinking about our future, we want it to be defined by a vision for that future. And we all have to learn how to do this. I have to learn how to do this. You have to learn how to do this. We need to learn how to wake up with this vision every single day about what our future is going to look like what it's gonna sound like, what it's gonna feel like, and to be able to use our imagination to be able to connect to a future that is very different from the past. Now, why do we wanna do this? Well, because the subconscious mind doesn't know whether what you are experiencing is imaginary or real. And so when we start to imagine what our future could be like, we begin to lay down these new circuits in our brain that's going to reflect that vision. If we're not laying down those circuits in the brain, all we're doing is recreating the same kind of patterns, the same kind of experiences, the same kind of memories that we had in the past. So why does this happen? Well, because when you, where you place your attention is where you place your energy. It's part of the nature of creating something. When I was creating this book, my attention was on creating this book and all of it and who, who to put it together. And so it, it's all in the nature of where I was put, placing my attention. And so you can see this in your own life. Where you put your attention onto a lot of things, things that trouble or confound you, which cause you a lot of suffering, it activates all of these survival mode chemicals in our bodies, thrust us into a high beta brain wave activity and state and those survival stress hormones and chemicals keep the stress response active in the situations that we're consumed with. And so we're totally focused on matter. We are completely focused on the challenging situation we find ourselves in. And when we're in survival and we need to survive, a situation which demands our full attention like, I don't know, like a lion or a, a bear, you know, staring down on us and, and we need to determine whether we're going to fight we're going to flee or we're going to freeze. It works brilliantly. And this is the way it was intended. However, the modern world has dysregulated this basic survival instinct into a hybrid to deal with the stresses of modern day life. And as we're so focused on meeting the needs of our survival in this world, uh, I got, it's so consuming that it doesn't allow our brains to relax and calm down into that alpha and theta states, these other brainwave states, which is where we get the chance to experience something new.
Alpha brainwave states is the realm of the imagination. Where we begin to see things in a different way. And begin to see different possibilities in our life. But if we're always running on high beta brain waves and, and those frequencies and we're constantly into that survival mode and that emergency mode, there is no room for something new to come in. There's no or anything unknown. We're basically running on an unconscious program that we've become habituated to. And so we're basically on autopilot. What the science is learning, though, in particular the science of epigenetics, is that you can signal the genes in your chromosomes ahead of the environment. You can do it. Instead of the environment around you signaling the gene to activate or not. Now suddenly with this information, now you become an active agent in how your life unfolds. Rather than simply reacting to the environmental signals that bombard you every day. You begin to see how powerful you really are. And how powerful your choices are. And that you can be either driven by fate, and fate is when the world decides for how you, for, when the world decides for you how to be and how to live in this world, or by your destiny, which is where you begin to choose by your own volition, your own will, the life you're going to lead and the person you will be and become. And every time you make that choice, you make an empowering choice, you signal the genes in your body ahead of the environment. Now your genes make proteins. And at the cellular level, the body is basically a, a protein-producing machine. And the proteins that it's producing are going to be the expression that you are producing from your thoughts, feelings, emotions, attitudes, beliefs, etc. And the expression of these proteins is the expression of life. For example, if I'm waiting for the news from a doctor um, that my healing has happened, then I'm waiting for the environment to tell me that I'm better, which is what we regularly do. We wait. However, to signal the gene ahead of the environment, then I'm going to have to signal a feeling of grat gratitude or thankfulness and wholeness before I get that diagnosis that I'm healed. And these are some of the feelings you would already feel upon receiving the news from the outside environment that you are healed. Now, if the body is a protein-producing machine, and every single cell in your body makes a protein, except for, red blood, excuse me, except for red blood cells, in order for the cell to make a protein, a, a gene has to be signaled and regulated. Well, then logically, it makes sense that the genes are responsive to the outer environment of the cell. You see, we're thinking and feeling creatures. It's fundamental to the human experience. And this idea of thinking and feeling as a foundational to our existence goes all the way back to Aristotle. Now imagine that if you are thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking in the same way every day, and you're going to have the same genes signaled in the same way every single day, and the genes for health thus wouldn't be signaled because you're, you're, you're feeling sick. And then what happens is that those expressions of those genes make proteins, but these proteins are going to be a little bit cheaper, cheaper proteins. And eventually the body is slowly going to start breaking down. So if you're thinking the same thoughts, making the same choices, doing the same things, 
creating the same experiences that are stamping the same network of neurons in the same patterns, all for the familiar feeling called you, then there's no information that's going to be able to come from the environment to alter your perceptions. And now you're pretty much headed down a gen for, to a genetic outcome. Now, for example, every time I thought of a particularly painful event in my life, whether it was a failure or the amount of debt that I had accumulated from my student loans or a betrayal in a, in a, in a personal relationship or a professional relationship or any times of feelings of shamelessness or worthlessness, whatever, I was producing the same chemistry in my body and my brain as if the event was occurring right now. Because a subconscious mind doesn't know whether something is happening in reality or if it's in the present moment or if you're recalling a memory or if you're just imagining it. The brain and body don't know. The subconscious mind doesn't know. And that same chemistry in your brain and your body, it feels as if it's happening to you all over again. And over time, what I was doing is I was conditioning my body into the past. I kept reliving the past over and over and over again. Now my body has become the mind, and because it has become conditioned to experience these emotions and, and chemistry from the past. And once the body has become the mind of that emotion, my mind becomes the mind of the betrayal, the abandonment, the failure, the worthlessness, the depression. Put whatever emotion you want in there, and now your body is literally the past, and now it's programmed genetically. The only way that you can change that is, and the only way I could change that, is I would have to create an emotion that would be different from the feeling of the betrayal or the resentment or the failure from, the, my, uh, from my colleagues, from your wife, from the husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, family, whatever. And in order to do that and sustain it, I had to create a level of heart-centered joy, of freedom, a sense of gratitude and appreciation of care that was greater than the betrayal, that was greater than the failure, that's greater than that feeling of shame or, and worthilessness. And if I could do that and sustain it for longer and longer periods of time, my body would begin to believe that I was experiencing a new experience. I'm connected to the joy, I'm connected to hope, I'm connected to freedom and gratitude and appreciation and care. So the stronger the emotion and the more you pay attention to that picture in your mind. You've got to have that picture in your mind. And eventually you're going to be able to brand that information neurologically in your brain and your body is slowly going to be conditioned into believing that it's starting to happen. So every day, every day you are consciously choosing to select and instruct those genes. And it's very important to know what are the thoughts activated in your mind. What are you and I going to feed our mind when we wake up in the morning? If we know that what we are thinking is going to have an impact on how we feel. <clears throat> so often we feed it like with things like, oh, you know, today is going to be a terrible day. Or I'll never be successful. Or I'm stuck in this miserable job. Or, you know, it's back to the same old grind. You know, nothing ever good comes my way. I mean, these are some of the thoughts that we think and we say to ourselves when we wake up in the morning. Well, when we do that, we are conditioning our bodies to experience those things. And you're already laying down the map for your day. 
If instead, if, if you are selecting and instructing those genes and saying something like, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not getting up until I'm in love with my life. I'm not getting up until I'm, I'm excited about my life. And this is my life, and you know what, this, this, is, this is what I, I'm going to be excited about it. And, and then you start small. You, start, you don't take on too much too soon. You work with this. And you find the little things around you that make your life so worth living. And you find one thing, and then you keep building from there. We've got to start doing these kinds of things to begin to make the changes we want to see happen in our lives. We think it's an external job. It's not. It's an inside job. Now, all of us at some point, and some of us experience this more than once, we're going to be brought down to our lowest level. And we all experience this. Um, suffering is a part of life. That is a truth. And when we're brought to that lowest level in our lives, you know, we don't feel like ourselves. If in those moments we could gently observe us in, our, in that state, you know, because we're not really feeling like, we're not feeling like ourselves. And then if we combine in those states a clear intention with an elevated emotion every single day and say to ourselves, you know what? I'm not going to get up until I feel good or until I feel great or, or even if maybe it's just about getting neutral until I am this other person. From this elevated emotional state, you think it's possible you, could, you can observe the old self from an elevated self instead of from your limited self? Now, which would you choose? I mean, I had to make that choice. I could stay stuck in that suffering. I could see myself, or I could start to find a different picture, find a, a, a future person of myself looking at me and, and seeing myself from a different perspective. To stay stuck, I had to decide whether to stay stuck or to work every day on seeing my life from this consciously directed, emotionally elevated self. So if how you think and how you feel creates your state of being, and thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body, and your thinking and feeling creates your state of being, then it just makes sense we generally start our state of being in the past. Whenever we think of a memory, a person, a place, an event, a job, and this is what we would call the known. Right? This is what we know. This is familiar. It's the past. We can call it up. If how you think and how you feel creates your future, and you can't think greater than how you feel, and your feelings have become the means of thinking, then the past is going to be pretty much your future. See, we've created habitual thinking and feeling, and this gets replicated over and over again until we begin to recognize we can change it by choosing to place our energy and attention elsewhere. Our habits are just really a redundant set of automatic, unconscious thoughts, behaviors, and emotions that we've acquired through frequent repetition. It's through the repetition that we've learned. We learn everything through repetition. And the more we repeat something over and over again, we form those neuronal pathways in our brain that allows us to do, to do it without even thinking. This is how we learned how to drive a car. This is how you learned how to drive a car. 
when you first learned how to drive a car, it was, you had to look outside, you look in your rearview mirror, you had to look at the, where push the gas, you didn't know where the brake was. I, it was, it was it, I, I used to run red lights because I was so afraid, and when I would make a right turn to make a stop, it was, I, I drove my dad crazy with that. <laughs> and, but now, it eventually, it becomes automatic. We can drive without thinking about it. And all, all the, those driving details that were so hard at the beginning. And you can listen to your radio and talk with somebody on the phone and or, you know, you can even daydream while you're driving. And you've done this so many times that the body knows implicitly what to do. You know how to drive your car, you know, better than the conscious mind can do it. And so this is an example of how a habit gets formed. And all of you have habits and all of my habits. You know, we've done these things so many times in our bodies. They just know how to do it, and, and, and better than our conscious minds do. And, and then you add years to it. You add 10 years, you add 20 years, 30 years. And we're making the same choices, taking the same thoughts, doing the same things with the same experience, and reaffirming those same emotions. Wouldn't you agree that we're pretty much becoming automatic programs? And we're just operating on autopilot? I know I felt that way. And I'm sure many of you who are listening to this have felt that way too. See, the body, your body and my body, is actually the mind. And it's dragging us into our future, but it's based upon what we did in the past. In the routine and predictable world. That's what we're doing in that, this routine and predictable world. We would also call this the known as well. We can predict it. We know basically what's going to happen. It's mostly known to us. There's and with an occasionally, you know, there's a, a few surprises, but it's it's basically known. So here's a point to consider. Where in the predictable future is there room for the unknown? There's no room for it. The place where the future happens is in the unpredictable. It's in the unknown. And if your energy is the same as it was yesterday, and the day before that, and the day before that. Your future is going to be a repeat of what you've already experienced. And thus our past becomes our future. To start the process <clears throat> of changing this to a different future for you and me, we gotta change our energy. We gotta change our patterns. That's a big one too, you gotta know your patterns. You change your patterns, you change your life as well. <laughs> That's a big one that I just recently learned. You gotta change your thoughts, you gotta change your emotions in order to change your life. Our brain is this anticipation machine and it's trying to anticipate the next moment and as long as you can predict or anticipate the next moment, that's the known again. I can predict it. If I know what's going to happen next, I can predict it. And in that, there's a, we feel safe, we feel secure, and, and we feel comforted in knowing we have some control over our lives and what comes next. It, it's very uncomfortable to get into that place of the unpredictable. We don't feel safe in that. You know, I, I know when I jump in my car and I drive to the gym or I, I can see myself working out or I go to the studio to do yoga or, or, or I come in here to the, radio to the TV radio station, I can see it and, when I, and I see it in part of my day. I can predict that. My brain is, <clears throat> has already laid down the track. The brain, my brain, your brain, is programmed into always trying to lay down 
unknown over the unknown. And hence, there's no room for the unknown to enter into people's lives. And so one of the things that uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza suggests to us and invites us all to do, and I, and I think it's such a great suggestion, and uh, I just want to share it with you because I think there's so much value in it, and it's to start rehearsing your day and your future in your mind before you go about your day, to start your day that way. Heck, it just takes five minutes. And if you can do more, great. If you could space out more in your day, that's great. But just spend some time with yourself connecting to some gratitude, to some joy in your life, to something that you're grateful for and something you want to experience in the future. And there are some studies which support this concept of rehearsing your future experience that that I want to share with you. I mean, this, this is what athletes have been doing for a long They rehearse what they're going to do before the actual event happens, and it increases their performance level. In one study, they looked at piano students and how their brain learned to do scales. And they divided them into two groups. And the first group learned the scale by playing the piano for one to two hours a day for two weeks straight. And they practiced the scale, and the, and the more they practiced, they would get better and get better at it. And, and that makes sense. The more you practice something, the better you're going to get at it. And the parts in the brain that lit up while they did it showed where in the brain they were lear- learning that set in the, in the music. Now, the other group in the study was told to listen to this music for one or two hours a day for two weeks straight. But all they could do was simply imagine playing the chords. That's it. They couldn't play the piano uh, during this time of study. They just had to imagine it and, and seeing what was going on and just keep playing that chord in their brain and hearing that music. And amazingly, when they looked at the brain activity in this group, the same parts of the brain would light up as what was, was happening with their counterparts in the other group who were actually playing the chords with their fingers. The same parts in the brain were lighting up. And after two weeks were over, they tested them on the pianos, both groups. And of course, the group that played the chords played it brilliantly. And when they tested the group that hadn't been playing the piano, they tested them and not who had only been rehearsing this over and over again in their brains. Amazingly, they were able to play the chords as if they had been practicing the whole time. It was already there. It's amazing. And another study group, there was a group of men who were working out in the gym. But instead of doing, uh, going to the gym to do bicep curls, they spent two or three weeks imagining for an hour doing curls. And they just rehearsed doing the curls in their minds. They just kept seeing it and then doing it, and that's it. And when this study period was over and they measured the men, the men had actually grown the muscles in their biceps without ever lifting a weight. They showed like a 10, 10 to 15%. I don't know the exact percentage, but it was an increase in their muscle mass. And all they had done was rehearse the feeling and the activity in their minds. By these two studies, you can get a sense of how powerful our minds actually are. And, and where you place your attention is where you place your energy. Now, as you know, the outer world of physical reality is processed through our senses. We're receiving so much information through this incredibly sophisticated, 
biological systems that allow us to experience our life. I want you to kind of shift your perspective for a moment and have this image in your mind of a circle. And this circle represents you and all of your thoughts and feelings, all of this inner world of your thoughts and feelings. And, and this circle, which is you, is the container of all that. And when you're asleep, you no longer consciously are connected to the outer world of physical reality. You're in dream time. You're in deep uh, theta or delta sleep. And you are in this unconscious world. You're actually in the unknown. And then when you rise up in the morning, the first thing that we do, the first thing that I do, is I I pick up my smartphone. (laughs) And then I'll pick up my phone, I'll check my texts and my emails and my and check up what's going on in the news, and then I'm going to look at my Facebook, and then WhatsApp, and fantasy football, Twitter, Instagram, and then, you know, for us, many of us will look at our, you know, at our job, and, the co- and what we've got to do at work, and the projects that we have to still do, and the coworkers that we have to deal with, and then you got to thinking about your partner, and your wife, and your, your husband, and your children, your ex, your siblings, your parents, your cats, your dogs, how you're going to get your children to school on time. Then you're thinking about your diet, your health, and you're back onto the news. And it goes on and on and on. And all this stuff, and this stuff pulls us away from that deep inner reservoir and life force energy of who we are and what we want and the inner world of our thoughts and feelings in which resides many of the hopes and dreams we have for ourselves, our families, our friends, our communities, and how we want to experience the life that we have. So if where you place your attention is where you place your energy, how much of your attention and energy do you have for your inner world of thoughts and feelings to create anything new if all your attention is on the outside world? Not much. 86% 86% of the people with a smartphone, uh, the first thing we do is check our phone. <laughs> it's, it is true. I know. I, I do this. Uh, the moment when we connect with our phone, it connects us immediately to our, to our reality, to our outer reality uh, and the stuff of the physical world. And if you think about it, these are the knowns that we've experienced. Every day, you and I go through and experience these same knowns that fill our day. And if I've experienced them repeatedly, and you've experienced them repeatedly, you and I have a neurological network assigned to every one of these things that we know. And when you throw in the hormones of stress, and our brains are aroused to varying degrees of living in emergency, And as we try to control and predict all the things that are going on in our life, and you try to control and predict all the things in your life, and I'm doing it, and as we shift our attention to our coworkers, to our enemies, to our politics, to our partner, to our exes, to our cell phones, to our diets, we are activating each of these circuits in our brains. And the arousal of these chemicals causes me and you to fire those circuits very inconsistently or very incoherently, and then the brain begins to fire in a very disorderly manner. Our brains are incoherent. 
And Dr. Joe Dispenza says that when the brain is incoherent, you are incoherent. So here's a personal example of how we can start to reverse this habitual thinking and feeling. And if our emotion is strong enough, that feeling of gratitude, love, appreciation, care, compassion, joy, and excitement for life, it's going to draw your energy and attention away from all this stuff that you've identified as you. So for me, as, as an example, if I'm always using my ex-girlfriend or a failed uh, business venture or an acting career that failed to blossom in the way that I hoped it would or uh, anything that it, it, things didn't work out the way I hoped or thought it should, and I'm giving my attention to all of that, then I'm giving my power, my light, my life force energy away to these spectacles in my mind. I'm giving this precious life force energy my power away to all these other things connected to my past that I could be using now to create a new future. I had to ask myself, and I had to ask myself honestly, how much of my creative future is tied up in resentment, in guilt, or shame, or in my anger, in my frustration? How much of this could I be, instead be using to design a whole new outcome and a whole new destiny. So much of it was rehearsing in my mind what I could have done or should have done or what would have happened if this person did this and I said that. or if, And of course, that, that keeps me stuck in the past. It kept me stuck in the past. And of course, all the ways in which I would behave when I met these people. Of course, we, we imagine when we're going to meet them again and what we're going to say to them and, and all these unknowns in the future. So you're rehearsing basically more past stuff in the future. <laughs> and so I've learned that I had to become consciously, become conscious of where my emotions are going and how this was enhancing or negatively in impacting me. Because our emotions are energy in motion. And all motions have a purpose, even the ones we might label as negative. They have a purpose. They're trying to tell us something. Anger, for instance, might be telling me someone just violated me and one of my boundaries, and I'm hurt and I'm pissed off about it. It's accurate and it gives me information. And the next step is to be able to learn how to use this information in a healthy way to construct a well-grounded, principled, moral individual and being. Now, the stronger the emotions you feel for anything in your life, whether it's about your past or whether it's about your future, the more you pay attention to these things, the more your energy is commingled with all these other elements. And so now this takes us to quantum physics. And, and this is, I want to give you a little understanding of, and, and look at the quantum physics world. <clears throat> and I'm absolutely fascinated by this stuff. <laughs> and when the scientists discovered the subatomic world and began to investigate what is going on there, what is going on in this subatomic world as opposed to the world of matter, the world that we can feel with our senses, you know, does it follow the same laws of physics as Newtonian physics, or are there different laws? And Einstein and Max Planck were looking at this and discovered that the laws that existed in this subatomic world were not the same. 
when they would apply heat or energy into this subatomic world. The stress this puts on the atoms would create these remarkable observations. They'd observe electrons disappearing and then reappearing. <laughs> Where did they go? And why did they do that? And this confounded them, and they were looking more closely, and they discovered, as they investigated more closely, that there was a lot of open space between the nucleus of the atom and the electrons that were, were, were uh, um, you know, circling it. And if you could really actually, if we could really actually blow up an atom proportionate to the measurements, we could really understand. And let's say that the, uh, the nucleus of the atom was, uh, was the size of your car, and your car was here in, in Denver. Okay? The electron going around it would be somewhere out in, in Utah or California somewhere. That's how much space it, there is in, in those atoms if we blow it up. It's really far, far away. And so they also witnessed that where the observer's attention was had an effect on what was observed. They discovered that light could be both particle and wave. And there were waves of energy all around us. And when the observer focused their attention, where they focused their attention, that wave collapsed into a particle. So the quantum world is this world of energy and waves. And the physical world is matter and particle. Energy, matter. Waves, particle. And how matter formed was always contingent upon where the observer was looking. And if they took their attention off the electron and were no longer observing it, and then it all of a sudden it turned into possibility, went into the wave, went back into its wave form, and turned into the energy. Well, if we're energy and we're connected to this, we can turn this around and say, how, we might be, how can we be able to connect to this formless energy around us when we are also part of, connected to this energy? So the moment we start to take our observation off of us and our, identi and our identity and pull it off of all these things that keep us distracted, keep us, you know, our attention outside of us, and we turn that stuff inward, and we do this in meditation, Okay, I've been meditating for uh, 10 years now. And I started out being very much caught up in the outside world, and I can tell you how much it has changed my life uh, for the better. And in that meditation, you become, you're starting to, to slowly come inward. You become nobody. You become no one, no thing. You're not your identity. You're not your personality. You're, you're nowhere and no time. You're getting into this really beautiful place and when that occurs, when you begin to meditate, you start taking all of your attention off what is known. And if you take your attention off what is known, is it possible that your life will turn into possibility just like the electron turns into possibility? Another way to think about this, if you took your attention off of the known world, the people, the places, the memories, the events, the, the traumas, the dramas, everything that crowds your, your conscious mind, and you pulled your energy out of that reality, this three-dimensional reality, and you put your t attention on the unknown into the realm of possibility and probability, 
this infinite space that is all around us where the energy lives, the quantum field lives. It's there. The longer you linger in this unknown, the more you invest your attention and energy into this unknown, the more we should have new and unknown experiences in our lives. Because if you're connected to the unified field and it's there, it's invisible, but it does exist. And this unified field is this invi invisible energy that surrounds us and unifies and connects everything material. If you're creating from this field instead of from matter, and it's not matter that's creating the field, it's the field that's creating matter, and you're creating from this unified field, all of a sudden you're drawing experiences to you because it's the energy that's connected to everything that exists. This quantum field is amazing, and it's this invisible field of energy and information. We're experiencing it all, all the time with all of our technology. It's all around us. And when you are not your body and not your objects and not, and not time and you're, you're not that identity that, you're, that you live in your everyday world and you're not connected to those things. And when you start asking these deeper questions about who I am behind all of these dressings and accoutrements that make up my life, what am I about? Who am I at my core essence? You are coming to a place of just being in awareness, a consciousness. You're becoming more consciously aware of your own soul, and you're aware you're also in this, in this vacuum. Now, I want to quickly be able to distinguish a little between the soul and consciousness. I think it's, it's important. It's subtle, but it's important. Consciousness is our awareness of our existence. It's our awareness that we are here. The only reason I know I exist is because of my consciousness. The only reason you know you exist is because of your consciousness. Now the soul is delving into this sacred dimension. It's a deeper, deep, much deeper territory within you. It is the energy world transmuted into liquid grace. And its language is rooted in holy language that's found all over the world. And its pillars are faith, hope, trust, and love. And now the soul is connected and is in the realm of the holy. And that which is holy within you. It's really deep. And the connection to this world of energy for many people serves as a gateway for them into the holy and the sacred. Now back to energy and consciousness. And back to this quantum field. Now just because you can't see something there doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You can't experience the quantum realm with your senses. You can experience this realm with your senses. You can taste, you can touch, you can hear, you can smell, you can see. And then you, when you throw in all these hormones of stretch, stress, which only heightens our senses and makes us really focus on what is going on in our, in our three-dimensional reality and 
And because we've reduced everything to this reductionistic, materialist worldview, you can't believe that there's anything beyond what your senses show you, because if you can't see it, then it doesn't exist. And with this worldview, it leaves us with a very, uh, very existential, hopeless, despairing, senseless outlook on life. Like, you know, when I was there, uh, I remember it created that, that, oh, that deep sense of what's the point? What's the point of this life if we're all just going to die? And it's not a comfortable place to be at. Now, if all these potentials exist in the quantum field, and this field is real, and it exists, and thought is the electrical charge, and the feeling is the magnetic charge, then how you think and how you feel broadcasts information into this field. And whatever you broadcast into the field is going to be your experiment with creation and your destiny. Now, that line of reasoning is a lot more hopeful and empowering, to say the least. <laughs> However, if you're walking around every day, suffering and complaining and moaning and groaning about how terrible your life is, and woe is me, uh, woe is me, my life is never going to amount to anything, or whatever it may be that ke keeps you in this self-inflicted suffering. And I believe that 90% of our suffering is self-inflicted. And that's basically the signature that you're broadcasting out into the field. And what you're saying is, oh, you know, universal mind, God, creator, quantum field. Hey, I'm broadcasting the signature of suffering into the field. I like this feeling of betrayal. I like this feeling of abandonment. I like this feeling of being hurt by others. And could you bring me an experience more of this suffering? Let's say another betrayal, another failure. Uh, but bring it in a way that I, that I could least expect, you know, because I want to su surprise me. Please surprise me so I can suffer a little bit more. <laughs> I know that was part of, it has been a part of my thinking. And what we're talking about here is self-inflicted suffering. I know that su this, this kind of suffering is unnecessary. And I acknowledge and know and have worked with people that have experienced horrible pain. There are things that happen in life that are enormously painful, enormously cruel, and horrible. It, it, it breaks your heart. It tears your gut. It, it, it shatters your uh, identity and breaks apart all, everything that you think is good in the world. Uh, anathema it goes against the right way. Um, and these deep traumas, memories, and life-shattering experiences require us to first tend to those wounds and heal them carefully and consciously. And it often requires us to go even deeper into that realm of the soul because the soul has been wounded. And it compels us to go even deeper into the inner resources of the sacred to heal from these wounds. It takes time. I, I, I truly understand it. Um, trauma and horror it cuts us off from this field. We feel separated from it. And as a consequence, we no longer feel connected to it. And it takes time to reconnect. So that's 
I want to make sure I clarify that. However, so much of our suffering when not induced by trauma or horror is self-inflicted. That we do to ourselves that comes from our thoughts and our feelings. And so we become punished by our sins in this context. And sin in this context being our attitude. So once we're able to tap into this field and know it is there and you can sense it and we're connected to it and you sense it on your own and you feel it around you, the field is very responsive. It's reflexive to how you think and how you feel. And as you go deeper into meditation and you practice and you practice and you get over and you get, continue to get over yourself and keep doing it and you, start, you reach a precipice and, with, and at this precipice you're at the door of the quantum world this quantum field and you're tuning in and you're tuning in and you're paying attention to this frequency of oneness that is the field this wholeness that is the field that's already there and because it's there you're paying attention to it you don't have to create it it's just you have to find that place and if you have a thought that thought takes us there this is the realm of thought and every thought has a frequency you start to become aware of the thought of oneness and wholeness. And soon you start to become aware of the frequency of it. What if you were able to pay attention to this frequency of oneness and wholeness? And you pay enough attention to it. And you stay aware of it. And you stay connected to it. You're starting, going to start getting closer and closer to this feeling of oneness. You will be creating from that place of wholeness as if it's already happened to you. But most of us get stuck in lack and separation. And that's where we're actually creating from. I'm creating from, you know, or we're creating from something that we want. Somebody has something that we want. We don't have it. And we're going to do whatever we can to get it. And what we are doing is creating from matter to matter. And if we're doing that, it's going to take a lot longer to get that, to, to, to do it that way. But when you're creating from this field, instead of from matter and you're feeling connected to the whole and you don't feel separated from anything and you feel like you've already have it and you've experienced it through your, your imagination and you get closer and you get closer to it and you get closer to the source of your creation and the less separation you have between two points of consciousness the less time it takes to appear in your life you have to become more of your future and less of you. Every time you're experiencing it, every time you're experiencing your future, you're creating new circuitry in your brain. And as you keep experiencing it, you're going to start laying down new networks, new neurological tracks, circuits for you so that in your brain so that you can actually stay connected to this field. Now let's say that you want to stay connected to God or the divine. And that's, your, and that's your intention in your meditation. Who knows? You might start seeing God in every human being because you're wired for it. So what are some of the potentials that are there for you in the quantum field? There are so many. There's a potential for you to become a genius and have genius thoughts. The potential to heal from an illness or a disease. The potential to be healthy to be active, to be abundant, to have a more fulfilling job, 
to have a fabulous new healthy relationship, to have a mystical experience, to travel to some place you've always wanted to travel to, to have a better relationship with your parents, to have a better relationship with your children, to have more synchronicities in your life, more dreams, uh, serotonin levels going up in your brain, have more opportunities to live a fulfilling life, more chances to serve others, a society that works for everyone. There are all kinds of things that live in this potential. Uh, all these potentials live in this quantum field. And how you get there is you get into the present moment, into the miracle of the now. You're, if you're thinking about your th past, you're thinking about stuff that has already happened, if you're worried about your future, you're, you're trying to control and predict, you got to get back in the now, right now. And you have to learn when you get into this now how to combine a clear intention, a coherent brain with an elevated emotion, a coherent heart. And when you learn how to do this and do it consistently, you will be able to change your energy and broadcast this whole new signature into the field. And whatever you're broadcasting is going to be an experiment with your destiny. And so how can we do this? Well, you've got to keep your energy synchronized to the energies around your life. You know, there are times when I haven't been successful. In the times that I have been trusting in this field, I've had incredible experiences. I've had miraculous experiences. I mean, my gosh, I... <laughs> I met the Pope. Uh, you know, how did that happen? I mean, that was, there was, it was one of those synchronistic events that happened in my life that when I got outside of my mind and, and I, in the way I thought my life should be and I allowed these amazing things to happen that I was already, you know, frequency, my frequency or my vibe was already connected to, was already linked up to. And so... When you have those kinds of experiences, these are the little breadcrumbs the universe sends to you to tell you, hey, you're on the right path. You've got to just keep going. Keep going. But if you disconnect from this energy of your future because something upsets you or someone or something brings you back into the past, don't expect anything to change in your life. But the good news is if you can catch yourself and excuse yourself and you go back to that energy and... <clears throat> you're going to start shifting and changing the programming that's controlling your life. And by the way, anyone can do this. No one's excluded. Everybody has this. You, you can be old. You can be young. <laughs> you can be overweight. You can be skinny. You can be uh, a meat eater. <laughs> you can be a vegan. You can be a Christian, a Catholic, a Muslim, uh, a Buddhist, a Hindu. You can be an atheist. You can be a blue collar, you can be white collar, you could be a Republican, you could be a Democrat, uh, you could be a spiritualist, you could be a materialist. Anybody can do this because no one is excluded in the field. It's all around us. We all have access to this invisible field which surrounds us. So what's an example and how you can do that? You know, first we have to get to a place where we've been healed from our past. All right, and the things that happen to us. And, and when we come back to our full power and agency, you can learn to apply this idea of having a clear intention and an elevated emotion. An example might be, and one of the ones that I did was to create a new opportunity. Other examples might be to have a, a more fulfilling relationship, going on vacation, bringing in more compassion, a better relationship with my family and friends. Whatever it is, you want to start out with a clear intention. 
You want to have some kind of symbol, symbol or image or a letter, anything that you can identify with this experience or, or creation you want to have, you want to make. Something that when you think about it, it, it immediately activates in your mind what you're intending. And so, you, you know, like you're at my intention for a new opportunity, starting a new career, working anywhere in the world, working with some really cool, high-vibe, awesome people, you know, making a difference in the world. I'm making a lot of money. And then uh, deciding whether or not in a couple of years to move on or, or to take it to another level. You know, these are, and what's the elevated emotion behind that? Oh my gosh, it feels so good. You feel free, you feel connected, you feel worthy to receive, you feel grateful, you're, you're excited about your life, you love your life. And you could, this is just one example of how to be able to do this. And once you've identified that clear intention with that elevated emotion, you got to get your brain and heart into coherence. And so you go into that meditation. And any meditation that helps you to get into that space of being connected to the field, where you become nobody, no thing, no one, nowhere, no time, you're just there. And you're feeling that and sensing that field and that energy around you. And you find that frequency of that elevated emotion. You start staying connected to it and to that oneness that's all around you. And you're feeling those elevated emotions and your energy begins to shift and you're holding that intention very clearly in your mind with this open heart and you begin to feel not with your head but with your heart and the emotions of your future and you feel it within you and all around you and you just keep tuning into that energy and, you, and tuning into that future and you feel it with your heart and the longer you're conscious of this energy and if there's a vibrational match the more you're going to be able to move it to you so it's about conditioning a thought of your future with the feeling of being connected to it with your heart. And every time you think of your future, you want to feel. You don't want to feel separated from it. You want to feel connected to it. And a lot of times people will say, including myself, you know, hey, if this isn't working. I, you know, I don't, why, I, why is it not working? I, uh, how come my future hasn't happened yet? Well, the moment we do that, we keep, when I ask that question, when you ask that question, we're asking from our old self and not from our future self. And a key is when you get into these deep meditations and you feel like your future has already happened because you've conditioned your body emotionally and mentally into that future and you're feeling the feelings of your future, that gratitude, that joy, that excitement, that, that, that hopefulness, that anticipation, you're not going to be looking for your future to see when it happens because you already feel like it's already happened. And then you're not trying to force and control and predict the outcome because in your heart, it's in your heart. You already know it. And as Dr. Dispenza points out, if the thought sends out the signal and the feeling draws in the event, you're drawing your future back with your heart. So pay attention to this process. Don't be impatient with it. Keep practicing. Practice it all the time. The more attention you give it, it's going to start blooming. The more attention you give to your heart, the more it's going to start to bloom, petal by petal. The more you breathe into that space, bringing life into it, you're going to blow open all the kinds of possibilities in your life. But you got to keep practicing. And you start practicing by being thankful for everything in your life. And the more you practice a feeling, the better you get at it. And if you keep tuning into that energy of your future every single day, it makes sense. It will become more familiar to you. We have the option all the time, the choice every day to take a moment and reconnect back to with this energy of our future, even when we're stressed. 
And now the chemicals of stress can be very intoxicating sometimes. I know it. They really are. And sometimes we just can't stop feeling that. Nobody could tell me when I was suffering to stop suffering. <laughs> I was like, what? Are you kidding me? i got to suffer. Who are you? You don't know what I've gone through, what I've experienced. And, yeah, and, and you've got to process. You've got to do those things. But you don't want to stay stuck there. And it does take a lot of effort to go, go against those survival chemicals. And believe me, I'm still working on it. I'm still moving out of those survival stress patterns and behaviors because they're intoxicating. And we become addicted to those feelings and emotions. So you just got to keep trying. You just got to keep doing it. Got to keep practicing. And before we close the show out today, I really, it's important for you to get this. It's really important. Even though you're connected to your future, it's none of your business or my business when it happens and where it happens. You leave that up to God. You leave that up to the greater mind, the universal mind that is connected to everything and holds all things together. Just go about your business. Stay connected to it and let your heart draw it to you. Move forward in that sense of grace and that you're being looked after and watched over because you are. And the effort you make to connect to that divine intelligence, the more it matches your effort. It's going to move closer to you. It's going to, the more, it's going to, God is going to move closer. The divine moves closer to you every time you make the effort. That's just how it works. And you see this in all the religious traditions. And so don't confuse joy and pleasure. Pleasure's got nothing to do with joy. Pleasure is stimulation. We're stimulating. The more whole we become, it becomes less about pleasure and more about joy. We've ironically a lot less need for pleasure. <laughs> when you're truly changing, stop thinking about it. You just do it. You're just busy doing it. You're no longer the philosopher. You're just doing it. So test it out. Experiment with your life. Become the scientist of your own life. Learn how to connect with this field. Connect with the energy that's all around you. Connect to that energy of the future because it's waiting for you. It's waiting for all of us to draw into our hearts and in this, into our experience collectively, individually, globally. And it's up to us what future we want to have. And now I want to um, go ahead and introduce, we have a very special guest here this, today, that um, Dr. Elisa Robin. Yes. How are you today? I am wonderful. I've loved listening to your show. Your, what you say resonates so much with what I teach, even though I'm, I'm helping people build a relationship with money, uh -huh. and I use the exact same language that you just used. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I know, I know, isn't it? But you talked about that, that everything exists in relationship. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and money is energy. Yes. And we can have a relationship with money and if we, a positive or a negative, right? A strong one or a weak one. Just like strong and weak bonds and atoms. Yes. And that governs what hap happens with that energy in our lives. Well, and I think that if people can really grasp that, you know, and it's such a foundational thing that in every relationship that we have, 
our relationship to money, our relationship to our family, yes. our relationship to people, uh, our workers, our, our children, our exes, yes. all of that is connected energetically. And these yes. subtle shifts can really make a difference. Learning in your work is with uh, helping people to have a good relationship with with money, right? With money, yes. I'm a, a wealth relationship psychologist. Wow, right? that's amazing. So my PhD is in is actually in educational psychology, but I've studied behavioral economics and the psychology of money, and I've been an academic dean for 20 years. I just stepped away from that career, and what I see over and over again mm -hmm. is that where we hurt, where we have lack, it's we have a weak relationship, mm. and it is when we strengthen those when we come to relationships, not from from pain, mm -hmm. but from inspiration, we change the dynamic dynamic of our entire life. Now, how did you get into this? You, you said you were, an, you were an academic professor for 20 years. Yes, I, I've what had, was your journey to coming into helping people to, to, to work with money in their life and, to, and being a wealth relationship coach? Wealth. Wealth Relationship Psychologist. Wealth Relationship Psychologist. As far as I know, I'm the only one. Wow. It's my title. So it's a great question. Thank you for asking. I actually, first career was geology, uh -huh. and I got laid off way, way back, went back to school, and had to put myself through school doing all those things we're willing to do to go to college, and basically came down to zero financially, and then had to start from zero to build in the past 20 years to a point of financial security, absolute financial security. And I realized that the core of that was not just making money, though clearly we have to make money, we have to save money, we have to do that. But it was the nature of my relationship with wealth, my sense of personal value. When my sense of value is strong, then what I draw to me yeah is wealth. Yeah. It's fairly basic. Well, how interesting you worked with geology. I mean, the earth. You yes. Know, because yes. The earth element, being able to extract the wealth right. that has been, you know, coming from the earth for centuries and millennium. Yes. And, and learning how to be able to be grounded into that and not afraid of the wealth that we contain within right. us. Absolutely. I mean, the earth has everything we need. Yeah. I think we live on this wealth planet. It's amazing. Yeah where I learned physics, right? My background's in a hard science. Yeah. And more and more, I saw that everything in life is about relationship, exactly what you talked about. So you said, go out and do this, right, to people. That's what you just said. I say to them, do the work. Yes. See your life as a piece of art, that your life, you are the canvas for your life. When we do that, we seduce life to us. We seduce wealth to us and I can what I can tell you for sure is people who work with me see mm -hmm. their life get better well how do you, what do you see as, a, as the biggest problem that people have when it's regarding money uh, you know there's always the a lot of these things that we you know our belief system can can absolutely. have a huge part in that absolutely where we think money is evil yes. or corrupt or you know this person's filthy rich that's right we, I mean even the language yes. we use is absolutely. so critical absolutely and so what do you find when you're working with people what is their biggest uh, obstacle that you that you see right that's a great question so some of it's that mm -hmm. uh, we have cultural expectations we have family training 
what is our background with money. We have preconceived ideas. People who move on a spiritual path will often say to me, no, money isn't spiritual. You mm -hmm. can't be spiritual and have money. I'm like, that's fascinating. Um, can you be spiritual and be beautiful? Mm -hmm. Can you be spiritual and, and be sensual? Mm -hmm. Then where, does, where did money leave? I don't really understand that. Mm -hmm. I do find that it's a sense of I have no value. And that that seems to be the number one. Number two is fear. And the fear often has people avoid their money. So, so imagine you're my friend. And I have set up something where you get a birthday card automatically and an anniversary card and a Halloween card automatically. They just come out. Yeah. I never have to check on you. And maybe once a year I check in. Hey, did you get my cards? You would probably not be in my life very long. Right? Okay. How, okay. All right. How do we? How do many people deal with that? Everything's paid automatically mm -hmm. from your checking account, and no one balances a check account. I mean, I do, but nobody balances a <laughs> check account anymore. Right. And and then what happens? Once a year, you check in to see what's in there. Yeah. Why would your money care about you? Why would you have an energetic relationship? So the, one of the first things I have my clients do is check in on their money. Mm. Say, hi, how you doing? Good to see you. <laughs> That's such a great <laughs> idea. You know, it's like, yeah, having a personal relationship with it. You know, I mean, I yes. know <clears throat> in my life that, um, you know, one of the things that I did in the many professions that I was, I was an actor for many years, mm -hmm. and I went into the starving artist mentality, right? right? I've got to dedicate my life to this passion that I have, right. this acting, I've got to get into it, and, you know, I've got to be Vincent Van Gogh. Well, but he didn't have such a, but, you know, I've got to have this <laughs> sense of, you know, bleeding from my art, yes, right? absolutely. And there was no sense of being remunerated for it in my psychology, you know? Right, And so absolutely. I literally was and starving myself in mm -hmm. doing that. Mm -hmm. How much does that impact us when we're caught up in a paradigm? And lock into it. Does it prevent us from being able to have these, this good relationship with money? Absolutely. And we have cultural paradigms. We have family paradigms. We have gender paradigms. We have paradigms about religion, about the kind of work I do. Mm -hmm. I, people will ask me often, well, when I find my life purpose, I'll make money. Well, what if your life purpose is to make enough money to be a philanthropist? then it doesn't matter what you do as long as it's ethical and you enjoy it and you're good at it. But money lets you be a philanthropist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It lets you, maybe that's your life purpose. Mm -hmm. Embrace money. It, it means fascinating, right? If I say I love chocolate, people go, yeah. <laughs> I love pizza, yeah. I love money, ooh. Yeah, right, <laughs> Bad, that's right? it. It's like right. really. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, uh, and I think it's such a, you know, <clears throat> important thing when people recognize that having a healthy relationship with money is really important Absolutely. for you to, to draw it into you with opportunities Absolutely. and experience and, and then being able to exchange it with other people right. and getting clear that uh, money allows you to be more of who you already are. That's right. Not It doesn't make you into somebody that you're not. And I think that's, that's right. really important for people to get and to understand. That's right. You know, if you're a philanthropist you know, engaging in philanthropy, it's gonna. You're gonna. When you have more money, you're gonna be able to do a lot more right. things with it. 
right? Right. And if you want to travel, you're going to be able to travel. That's know? right. In a lovely way. And yeah. I don't mean five star, but in a relaxed, present way. Mm-hmm. When we have financial wealth, financial prosperity, we, we're calm. Yeah. We're relaxed. I can help somebody on the street because I'm not worried about my time. It's okay. I have time to help you. I can stop. Yeah. I think that our, our vision is Scrooge. Yes. <laughs> right? Right? And I got to have uh, the ghost. Humbug, but right? even he changed. The ghost came and, yeah. and said, you can be a wonderful person with this money. Yeah. He went, all right, I'll do that. Well, I think that's so true. You know? <laughs> it's like, you know, bah, we got to be it. And then we're in the right season now where we can actually Absolutely. be generous of our Absolutely. spirit. I think money is something that can be a, 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 an expression of the generosity of spirit Absolutely. that people have. Because there are people in need in this life. There and, are. And, we, and the only way sometimes we can help them is through the energy and that's having right. a healthy relationship with money. That's right. That's right. When I first started my business doing this, I said, you know, here's the number I would like to get to to make, because I would like to be a major donor. I want someone to call me and say, one of my favorite charities, to call me and say, here's what we need. And I can go, yes, (laughs) I can do that. Oh, this is lovely. I wish we had more time to be able to talk, Dr. Elisa. Elisa, yeah. Uh, we're going to have to have you back on the show. I would love love to. I would love to be back on the show. I need to get in this, because I think it's such an important topic. You know, what you're doing, and what, uh, and then you have all these, the, the evidence and psychology behind right. it. Um, I think it will help the people who tune into the council enormously. Would you come back? I will absolutely come back. I'd love to. Awesome. Awesome, folks. Wow, what a gift. Uh, a, a blessing in disguise. <laughs> um, is there a way for people to get in contact with you who might want to? Get? I have a website. Okay. So it's elisarobin.com. Robin is spelled with a Y. Okay. And if they if they Google me, if they if you also Google inspiring a renaissance of spirit, my website will come up. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Folks, thank you so very much for tuning into this special uh, special uh, council today. You know, as we've learned a lot today about energy and connecting to the things, that infinite field around us. Uh, we will be back next week. We've got a great show. Sharon Rose, a fantastic uh, producer, movie producer, is giving um, about Ki Jong and the energy and, and martial arts. You won't want to miss it. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. The council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. And may you all be whole. God bless. We'll see you in in next week. Drums, please! Ah.